Welcome to Potternot, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am Zoe, she, her, a jaded fan. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a reluctant fan. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a tired fan. This week, we're going to dive into the good and the bad of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters eight and nine, the Quidditch World Cup, and the Dark Mark. Um, Yeah. this is a sm- quote unquote a smaller section. It's fewer chapters. Yeah. It's the same number of pages as usual. <laughs> yeah, and a hefty amount of content. Yeah. Yes. Lots of stuff happens. A lot of lore in these chapters. Uh, do we want to start with something good or something bad? <laughs> Let's start with your general thoughts. Um, the new reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Quidditch is fun. Yeah. Uh, boy, are there some philosophies on how the world works <laughs> in these, which I think is what we're going to talk about for, for most of this episode. So these chapters, in case anyone doesn't remember, uh, introduce the Vila, which are the... Harpies. Mascots slash hype squad for the Bulgarian Quidditch team. Yep. Uh, and leprechauns. For the Irish Quidditch team, and also our second house elf, Winky. Winky, uh-huh. is that what her name is? Winky. Yeah. And we briefly see some goblins too. And goblins are around. Also, a lot of lore, like we've said, and it's a lot of like lot of more related lore in the second chapter. I don't think we're going to get into plot much here, so I'll just give the barest of bare bones of plot, which is. The game happens. Ireland wins, but Crumb gets the snitch, which is, if you remember from last chapters, what Fred that and was George the bet. Yeah. Yeah. The bet. Um, Ludo Bagman. That's important. And then after everyone sort of falls asleep at post-celebration, everyone wakes up screaming or hearing screams because Death Eaters are on the march. Um, there's muggles being levitated and tortured. Um, tents are being flattened, everyone's fleeing out of the moor and into the woods, where Harry realizes he's lost his wand, which is not a good thing to do. And then out of nowhere, a voice screams a curse, and the dark mark appears over everything, and like even more chaos ensues. And the upside of this, the like the result of this is that Winky, the house elf, is accused of casting this and then when it's made clear that she couldn't have done this charm but she is still found with a wand and out of the tent where she was ordered to stay she is publicly humiliated and fired um and then everybody goes back to sleep for a few hours it's also a lore dump in chapter of the dark mark but that's the bare bones plot um and it's Harry's wand that cast the spell because he lost it. 
The reason that I don't feel like we can do much talking about plot here is that I still don't have enough plot to, like, understand what is being set up. Yeah, no, this is all set up. This is all, like, lore, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, the same with the first chapter with with Voldemort and the Riddle House. talking. Like, there's a lot of things being introduced, but I don't know, like... I don't have <laughs> I don't have yeah. anywhere to put them. So, I just have this like handful of of facts and names. Um, so I will say Adela mentioned this last time, but it's the same as book 3. Pretty much everything introduced in this book gets resolved in this book. So, you won't be left hanging like in book 2, which is good because we all hated book 2. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Quidditch. Let's start with a fun thing. Yeah, let's talk about this this game. I think. Omnioculars um, when they don't care about Muggle technology. <laughs> yeah, this is very obviously like she's trying she's trying to recreate like a real the like real experience of being in a sports stadium during a live game. Or watching it on TV when there's like or watching it on and TV. stuff, right? Yeah. Everybody gets their own personal jumbotron in the form of binoculars. <laughs> yeah, and that that I think I think omnioculars are very cool, and I think that that is a great way that technology and magic could meld together. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very clearly cool. got some sort of like video recording situation because Harry rewinds at some point. Yeah, it must. I mean, this is headcanon, but it must have been introduced, like invented by a Muggleborn. Yes. I gotta think so. And a Muggleborn, like, within the past, what, ten years of mm -hmm. time before this happened? Like, I don't know when TV, like, sports broadcasts coalesced into the thing that they are. Speaking of sports broadcasts, I love the ads. Oh, it's so funny. There's a lot in these chapters, and in this book in particular, that sort of fills in the societal gaps. Some of which we've already talked extensively about in the last episode, especially regarding like poverty and the situation where there should be a scarcity free world, but JKR is a Thatcherist. Mm -hmm. But the ads read The Blue Bottle, a broom for all the family, safe, reliable, and with built in anti burglar buzzer. Mrs. Scour's all purpose magical mess remover, no pain, no stain. Gladrag's wizard wear, London, Paris, Hogsmeade. It's really cute, and it like yeah. tells you a lot about how people. There's an ad that comes later. Birdie bots every every flavor beans. A risk with every mouthful. A risk with every mouthful is like a really cute slogan. That's very yeah. It's very in cute. a very like taste the rainbow kind of way. Like skills, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's a lot that she puts into these chapters. You get like climbing up the steps for this hundred thousand person stadium, which is a big stadium. Uh, like genuinely a large stadium. Although I don't think I don't think uh, the estimate that she puts into Harry's brain of it could fit ten cathedrals is warranted. <laughs> no, <laughs> are large. It could fit ten small churches. As someone who as someone who is really bad at imagining the scale of things, I didn't bat an eye at that. <laughs> oh, it's very funny, but uh, you would not be able to see from one side of the field to another <laughs> if there were ten cathedrals in it. 
Harry plays on a professional size Quidditch pitch, and he has described it as about the size of a football, therefore soccer field. I don't know. It's funny, though. It's very funny to me. Um, maybe it's like 10 cathedrals tall, which would be ridiculous. 10 cathedrals of, of volume. Yeah. <laughs> what is the volume? Here's your local <laughs> math uh, word, <laughs> word question for today. Um, there's some great societist, society stuff in here. In the Quidditch chapter, you get the Bulgarian um, ambassador who, as it turns out, does speak English, but is making Fudge translate for him for fun, which is a very Mm. strange diplomacy choice for her to write into these books. Yeah, I have some words about how she does, like, language writing in this. Mm. Yeah, also, I think there's some fun things in here about, like, who gets the power and the whole situation, like meeting Winky, for instance. So this is something that we'll come back to when we talk about house elves, but there's a particular passage here where Harry and the rest of the gang meet Winky. Yes. um, And they're talking about Dobby, but you also get to see the Malfoys, which is really fun because you don't really get to see the Malfoys outside of school. Yeah. You Um, don't really see them as a family in the same way that you see the Weasleys or. Yeah. You see them as a family, and later you see Draco on his own, and wow, have I read so much fic, I almost forgot what he was like in the books. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him in the Dark Mark chapter, let me be clear. The way that, the, just the poise, the way that it's described, I loved it. But you see that uh, how they got their tickets is by making a big donation to the hospital. They made a very generous contribution to St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. He's here as my guest. Like, Turns out the magical world is just as broken as the real world. The Weasleys are there as Ludo Bagman's guests, so like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just because they're nice people and friends, not because they are rich. (laughs) Exactly. But there's just some cool society stuff in here that uh, I think is worth sort of coming back to on occasion because you do get some more wizarding society later in this book and then also in book five. Briefly meeting some uh, French students. Yes, briefly meeting some French like students, strange. Bobetton. Um, Do either of you know enough French to translate what they say in that? Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, here US we go. Madame Maxine. Uh, where is Madame Maxine? We've lost, we've lost her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> That's what I figured it was, but there's, I guess a segue here would be like talking about the societal aspect of Quidditch. Yeah. Which we get like with um like the performance of each side's I don't like saying mascots because of things we'll discuss later, but uh it's the word that's used. It's the word that the book uses. Um with that performance and then her description of Yeah, they're the cheer squad. That's right. We'll call them the cheer squad. It's much more like a cheer squad. And the way she describes like the fans acting throughout the match. Mm-hmm. And Ron's Ron's obsession with Crumb. God, I love Ron's obsession with Crumb. It is so real to how straight men love sportsmen. Yes, which is like a whole. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's a whole like men masculinity thing. And the the oh god the way that that develops throughout this book. <laughs> is so straight man loving sportsman. It's so great. 
I think we're dancing around the topic. I think Adela is right. It's time to dive into specifics. <laughs> yeah. Starting with... Well, let's start with the language stuff that you wanted to talk yeah. about. Okay. I feel like that's yeah. a good place let me, to start. Let me stand on my soapbox. So first, I, this is what was my first note in my notes anyway, was E, please analyze Winky's accent and also... Winky's written accent and the Bulgarian minister's written yeah, accent. Yeah, let me let me point to the Bulgarian minister first. Sure. Um, now, here's my caveat. I do not know anything about the Bulgarian language. I think that it is related to Russian. I believe so. I believe so. it's, yeah. Certainly the way it's written in this book, it's, it seems like it. Yeah, like as opposed to like Hungarian, which is a separate Hmm. branch of it's a South Slavic language so yeah it's yeah yeah so I don't know much about it beyond that but I can tell that the author also does not know anything about like Bulgaria the culture or the language other than Slavic yeah like there's so much culturally extremely specific Ireland stuff Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, people in the British Isles know at least stereotypes about Ireland. There's nothing specific about Bulgaria here. Yeah. That was a thing I meant to look look up was um, if Vila are based on, like, obviously they could be based on harpies, but which are not a Slavic mythical creature. Um, but unless Vila are an actual mythical creature from somewhere. Yeah. Um, it, I'm just doing some on-the-fly Googling here. Yes, I have your answer. Vila is an anglicization of the Slavic term Vila. I'm going to butcher that pronunciation. V-I-L-A versus V-E-E-L-A. Vila are described as fairy or nymph-like creatures in Slavic mythology who live in bodies of water and have power and ability over storms. So entirely not what she made them into. No. Well, no, she made them into sirens. Often, n- yes, but they often appear as beautiful women, but are known to morph into swans, snakes, horses, or wolves. Their magically seductive speaking and singing voices hypnotize those who hear them, and they are okay. fierce warriors. So, hmm. what's that from? This is from the Harry Fandom Wiki, Harry Potter Fandom Wiki. But there are some references out here. Okay. So cool. I will put this. We will put this link into the show notes. Um, it does actually cover a bit more as well. So she just she just butchered some cultural appropriation. It's fine. Yeah, she just sort of <laughs> went on <laughs> a know. went on a you know short internet dive for Slavic folklore and found the first thing that she could turn into what she wanted it to be. Rewrite into what she wanted <laughs> yeah. and took out all of the the specific elements that would make it recognizable as this folklore yeah. creature. The Bulgarian minister is. Uh, described as gabbling loudly and excitedly. Uh, it, it's all of this, like, it's presented as if any language other than English is nonsense. And the joke is that, you know, he could speak English all along and Fudge was making a fool of himself, trying to, like, mime things. Um, so, butchering the, the ambassador's name? Yeah. And it's just real bad. It's, it's just real bad. 
Um, and unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. The names for the Bulgarian team look alternatively Russian and Polish to me, but that's sort of an uneducated eye. Yeah. So uh, if we have any Bulgarian listeners or listeners from the post-Soviet states, let us know. Yeah. Um. Anyways, how about... How about Winky? How about Winky, huh? Written accent? Um... I mean, this is something I've complained about before. I think I had said with Dobby and with Hagrid, messing up somebody's grammar is a sort of common, lazy way to to point at a lack of education, a lack of education, or a lack of intellect, or lower class status, or some combination of those things. Um, and she does it. Does it here too? This is um, across all house elves that you see in the entire series, mm-hmm. which made me wonder. This is still bad. Let me be clear. This is not yeah. good. I'm just wondering if this is indicative of ESL, English as a second language, um, mm-hmm. from house elves native language, which if it exists, you never see it. We have no right. idea. Right. But it's it's the things that are being done here i is right is a really common thing in the household do you want to read that passage zoe i'll read a line so you can sort of see what's going on here read the uh, you did dobby a favor line um yeah because that has several things in it ah sir said winky shaking her head ah sir meaning no disrespect sir but i is not sure you did dobby a favor sir when you is setting him free why said harry taken aback what's wrong with him Freedom is going to Dobby's head, sir, said Sa- Winky sadly. Ideas above his station, sir. Can't get another position, sir. So the first section sounds uneducated. There's like a, a whole situation going on there. But then the second sec- section, she's fine. just like. Yeah. So I like the ESL idea, but there's not. Like, it's not being not done. In- it also doesn't wouldn't make any sense because the the house elves do not have their own like society they live with the families that they live with and it would it doesn't That's it right. would make sense for them to speak the way the family speaks not to make like especially if they're yeah. raised there rather than to for all of the house elves to share the same dialect because they don't interact with each other yeah the thing that i would compare this to if it were being done this way and it's not but it would be like a pidgin language mm-hmm. which is a sort of very simple um grammatically simple dialect of a language that arises when two languages come in contact and aren't understandable to each other so like you see this um often you see this uh between colonizer language and indigenous language yeah um where like the colonizers arrive and there needs to be some method of communicating like very basic information between these two different language groups. And so this pidgin language arises, which is not usually fully fledged enough to discuss like uh, complex, abstract um, ideals. You can't usually form like grammatically very complex sentences with it. Mm. And that's not what's happening here because she is forming like grammatically complex sentences. Like she uses 
you know, multiple clauses per sentence. She has, like, she's using complicated grammatical structures. It's just that the author is just replacing a few words with the wrong grammatical form, like is instead of are. Later on, this is an example of what he is saying. So, um, like he's saying, house elves, house elves is not paid, sir. No, no, no. I says to Dobby, I says, go find yourself a nice family and settle down, Dobby. He is getting up to all sorts of high jinks, sir. Two words. What is unbecoming to a house elf? You goes rackety on like that, this, Dobby, I says. And the next thing I hear, you's up in front of the Department for Regulation and Control of Magnetical Creatures like some common goblin. Which, the content of that, we will come to uh-huh. in a moment. Yes. But- the grammar of that like, the sentence structure is pretty complex. Like, that's native Uh English level uh, sentence structure. But she's just said, she's just replaced it with, like, I I is or you is and I says. Like, that's all she's done. And it stands out, but it's not, it's not well done. Uh, And everything about house elves sucks. Everything about Uh house elves sucks. Um... We're going to talk about the house elf stuff when we get to the next chapter because there's even more in there. So we'll get to the content of what I just read as an example of grammar in a little bit. (laughs) We want to talk about how Harry should be a professional Quidditch player. Harry should be a professional Quidditch player. If he's not a professional Quidditch player, he should be what Ludo Bagman is doing and calling Quidditch and teaching (laughs) Quidditch because he has an understanding. We do not praise JKR on this podcast for a number of reasons, and we have shied away from praising specific aspects of writing. But I want to point something out here, which is this author does know how to write sports and knows how to write about understanding sports. And I have no idea where this comes from, but she (laughs) is genuinely good at this thing that is kind of hard to do, especially since the game makes no sense at all. Although we don't, yeah, I was going to say, although we do know that she doesn't know much about sports based on the Quidditch World Cup uh, history stuff that we yeah. read last time. Yeah. So like, <laughs> she's good at writing sports play by play. Yeah. And that's, that's a what very strange thing. And I like don't know what to do with that dichotomy. But because she understands how to write sports commentary, Harry understands sports at a level that is really impressive for somebody who was just introduced to this sport four years ago and only sees it during the year. Like this is not, he doesn't get to follow, he has to ask about who's in the Quidditch World Cup when he gets to the Weasleys because he's not able to follow this. Reading about games every week, you know, listening to radio broadcast or whatever so in this chapter harry daydreams and then dreams about being a professional quidditch player and we all agree that um harry should have done that after he graduated he should be. oh god yeah let harry have fun yeah like he has <laughs> this boy have fun really cool like internal monologue thoughts when he watches through the omnioculars like the different types of plays and formations and he's like imagining after the game how he would try the the Ronsky faint Ronsky faint yeah <laughs> god <laughs> <laughs> again where the fuck is this coming from with JKR because the way that so Harry's watching this game and slowing things down and in fact he's really upset because he misses the first goal because he's slowed down his omnioculars <laughs> so that he yeah, can watch, watch the play by play, by play. yeah 
But the things that are coming up on here, he spun the slow dial on his omnioculars again, pressed the play-by-play button on the top, which the the combination of technologies going on here, the fact that it says play-by-play button in the canon text is, I don't know what to do with this information. Why? Pressed the play-by-play button on the top and he was immediately watching in slow motion while glittering purple lettering flashed across the lenses and the noise of the crowd pounded against his eardrums. Hawk's head attacking formation, Porskov ploy, and then later the Ronsky feint. Like he is learning right then and there how to improve his own Quidditch play and understanding the game at a level that like, frankly, no one else displays other than Yeah, him. And he's mm-hmm. 15. Well, he's 14. 14. 14. Yeah. He's a baby. He's not even at a level of like advanced school age play yet. Uh it's so, really fascinating. Um, yeah. We're not going to get into like the super specifics of the game other than to point these things out. However, there are two things, two specifics. First of all, my favorite moment in any Quidditch thing ever is when the referee gets distracted by the Vila. <laughs> <laughs> and stops like calling play. And stops calling play. And somebody, Ludo Bagman, uh, says somebody slapped the referee. And a Medi wizard came tearing across the field, his fingers stuffed into his own ears, and kicked Mustafa hard in the shins. Mustafa seemed to come to himself. Harry, watching through the omnioculars again, saw that he looked exceptionally embarrassed and had started shouting at the Vila, who stopped dancing and were looking mutinous. Wow. It's just this tiny moment that has nothing to do with the game and a lot to do with the Vila, which we will talk about in a hot second. But it is so funny. And the thing is, when you're at live games, you see things like this. You (laughs) see, like, in the dugout, people are, like, playing a game or whatever. Or on the hockey bench, the players are, like, having a conversation and checking tape. Like, you see these things. And she depicts that alarmingly well in this whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then, can somebody please get lynched to a hospital? This man has at least two concussions. This guy, yeah. Double concussion. From plowing himself into the ground because Crumb Twice. is too good at Quidditch. Twice. <laughs> to the point where his teammates have to carry him into the top box for the celebration. There are many wizards on the sidelines. Take this man out of the field. He will celebrate when you give him some sort of potion that fixes the bruises on his brain. What yeah. the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Uh... Also, negative shout out to the word Medi Wizard. Medi Wizard. <laughs> she was mm. out of brain juice that day <laughs> and could not come up with anything more interesting than Medi Wizard. Brings to mind Nomad. Yeah. Nomad. <laughs> also, Narcissa. Should we talk about the? Should we talk about the Malfoy's names? Is Lucius okay? Draco Does... and Narcissa. Yeah. Does <laughs> Narcissa come back? Like, yes. as a character with more screen time later. Yes, and I am very interested in her character in general. Oh, yes. So I want to talk <laughs> she about her in the future. She of Mrs. Dursley a little bit in this moment, in that she uh-huh. doesn't get much except she's thin and she would be pretty if she wasn't so, like, sour looking. Yeah, don't which worry. She is very similar to Mrs. Dursley, Dursley in other ways, too. Cool. <laughs> I would say. But also, in some ways, very different. Yes. Yeah. There are, I have, there's, mm. I have had canons about her. Anyway. We'll get there someday. So, Quidditch. We have discussed Quidditch. Should we move on to Vila now? 
Davila. And Leprechaun. And Leprechauns. So while I was I was reading this, I was thinking about how Vila and Leprechauns seem like more like fae creatures, like fairies, than people, humans. Yeah, and it seems like from wherever she drew the Vila mythology, that's extra true. Yes. However, uh, Vila are in the Harry Potter universe more akin to humans than leprechauns are because leprechauns are considered fantastic beasts and Vila are not, apparently. Yeah, the Vila are described both in this uh, moment and in the outside resources you found. They're described as more like sapient and more human-like than leprechauns. I feel like we should talk about one at a time and then talk about the general idea of what is a being in yeah okay a let's wizarding start with world. leprechaun because leprechauns yeah. are less complex and there's like less going on in the story with them so the vila come out first mr weasley is like cleaning his glasses so he can see the vila better which i think is a very funny moment and then after the vila perform the leprechauns perform as the irish cheer squad we're just going to say cheer squad <laughs> yeah um, that's what they are that's and it rains gold, and I believe that there's a spoiler E that you read in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is That's totally fine. fine. If you it's very know funny. mythology about leprechauns, this is not kind oh, yeah. of a shock. Oh, so yeah. it rains gold, but the gold is a gold-like substance that disappears. So I that's feel like the leprechaun description is, long enough, is short enough that we could just read the whole thing. From Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. So I own Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was published as a uh, Red Nose Day charity uh, book. Well before her, like, prequel of the same name. Oh, yes. Oh, way, 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 way before. But supposedly written by Newt Scamander. Right. Um, yes. So it is, it is pulling from that. So um, there is no entry for Vila, but this was written after book four and references things that happen in book four, which is why... We're having this discussion about what what is and isn't a beast based on the canon text that we're looking at. So, but there is an entry for for leprechaun in this. So, leprechaun, sometimes known as clauricorn, C L A U R I C O R N, Ministry of Magical Classification X X X. No idea. <laughs> I think that's like a danger rating. So, more intelligent than the fairy and less malicious than the imp, pixie, or the doxy, the leprechaun is nevertheless mischievous. Found only in Ireland, it achieves a height of up to six inches and is green in color. It has been known to create crude clothing from leaves. Alone of the quote-unquote little people, leprechauns can speak, although they have never requested a classification as beings. The leprechaun bears live young and lives mostly in forest and woodland areas, and though it enjoys attracting muggle attention, and as a consequence features almost as heavily in the fairy and muggle literature for children. Leprechauns produce a realistic gold-like substance that vanishes after a few hours to their great amusement. Leprechauns eat leaves and despite their reputation as pranksters are not known to ever have done lasting damage to a human. Yeah. This description does not match the description of the leprechauns at the Wizard uh, the Quidditch World Cup because they're described no, as so... little men with red ri- waistcoats, not little green creatures with leaf leaf clothing. Yeah, the description in this in this on this page makes them sound much more like what they are. What leprechauns are generally actually described as not in this. So <laughs> the description in the chapter is next moment, what seemed to be a great green and gold comet came zooming into the stadium. It did one circuit of the stadium, then split into two smaller comets, each hurting towards the goalposts. A rainbow arced suddenly across the field, 
traditional uh, description there. And uh, connecting the two balls of light, the crowd oohed and awed as though um, at a fireworks display. Now the rainbow faded and the balls of light reunited and merged. They formed a great shimmering shamrock again, which rose up to the sky and began to soar over their heads. Something like gold rain seemed to be falling from it. Excellent, yelled Ron as the shamrock soared over them, and heavy gold coins rained from it, bouncing off their heads and seats. Squinting up at the shamrock, Harry realized it was actually comprised of thousands of tiny little bearded men with red vests, each carrying a miniature lamp of gold or green. So, first of all, Harry can see this with his bare eyes, so there's no way that these things are six inches tall. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not at that distance. In terms of clothing, I suppose it's possible that these beasts were hired in some capacity by the Irish national team and therefore clothed them. Put in costumes, yeah. Yeah, but they're also definitely sapient enough to perform in, like, formation. We have no idea, but it does not seem like they are taking orders. It seems very much like they are cheering on their team and they're, like, making fun of the other Cheers, team. They like Cheers toss squad. up the middle finger at the Vila yeah. at some point. They like form a giant hand. They like laugh at the referee and they yeah. form English words. Yeah. With like a form like it is very strange. Adela pointed this out, and I just want to highlight this from the Fantastic Beasts descriptions. I'm just gonna read the sentence again because it is a lot. <laughs> Alone of the quote unquote little people, leprechauns can speak though they have never requested reclassification as beings. Just gonna let that one, just gonna put that one out there. Yeah. So apparently to be considered a person in the wizarding world, you have to request to be reclassified as a being. Yeah. You're not just automatically considered a a person. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the word beings. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Versus yeah. beasts, I guess. I but guess, just... yeah. Is a Vila okay. a being then, but not still not a person? Creatures are also beings. This is a it's a wild <laughs> it's all wild. Uh-huh. There I just want to point out here that werewolves are in Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. And those are people, for sure. And those are people. Literally people. Finks are in Fantastic Beasts who are incredibly intelligent yeah um and are definitely things that have like a sentience right yeah right and they're and and more people are in fantastic yeah just people so so a why aren't vila in there and b why are any of those in there (laughs) i would like to read a sentence from the mer people description like the centaurs, the people have declined quote-unquote being status in favor of a beast classification. They choose a beast classification. You know how... Mm. Sounds a bit like the house elves choosing to stay enslaved. Yeah. Um, also, are centaurs in there? We, I think we asked that before. Oh, yes. They're- centaurs are in here. Being intelligent and capable of speech, it should not, strictly speaking, be termed a beast, but by its own request, it has been classified as such by the Ministry of Magic regarding centaurs this as a whole. makes no sense. It's very concerning. Uh, there's a... Mm, there's an analogy to be drawn mm. here between, again, the relationship between colonizers and indigenous communities Mm. where like the legitimacy of the indigenous people does not depend on their classification by the colonizer like yeah the centaurs 
are just like they have their own society like the their status as people or beasts or beings that deserve like to be treated on an equal footing does not depend on them asking you for status and the fact they the, have like in this description declined status yeah that's the thing that i want to like point out is the the thing that makes this so hard to talk about is that she insists with all of these different creatures that they want to be considered beasts or they want to not be considered people. Yeah. And so that makes it like, we, like, we don't want to be like, well, don't give them what they want, but also. But I think to E's point and to your point, Adela, what this is implying is that centaurs and people and goblins, by the way, who are not in here, but who did asked to be classified as beings, this is talked about later on, but who have a whole different host of issues with the wizarding world. The way that it's being described in here for merpeople and centaurs is that they wish to have their own definition of themselves. Yeah, it feels more like a, we, we decline to participate in your classification system. Yeah. yeah. And the wizards took that as, all right, they're beasts then. Yeah. yeah. Things that are not in Fantastic Beasts. Vila house elves goblins huh do we see vila again in the books yes well we uh, don't see we don't see full-blooded vila <laughs> we don't see full-blooded well okay vila. okay 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 um i guess my question is do we see vila or hear about vila outside of a human context no because I feel like that's part of the classification at work here. Like beings are just hang on a second. Oh yeah, do you want to read the um the 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 lexicon thing about Vila? I do the one specific quote from JKR that's in there. <laughs> I really do. I also want to point out, E, Vila can crossbreed with humans. Yeah. Yes, I did notice that. I guess the point I wanted to make is it seems like the distinction that's being drawn, whether or not the author is conscious of it, is Beings are magical entities that can be exploited for labor by humans. <laughs> and beasts are the ones who are not. Um, That's really hard. I don't know how no, that No, because there are that, beasts like... that, are, that are they use for labor, too. Yeah. And also, werewolves are beasts, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Literally people. The note here from JKR that I think is what Adela wants me to read is, via JKR, there are no male Vila. So... So they're amoeba? I, like, don't under... Yeah, <laughs> like, are okay, they you... mushrooms? Are they, like, what? Do they have, do they have, like, the ability to... Like, there are many hermaphroditic species out there that impregnate themselves. Like, that is not... Yeah. That could totally be the situation. I mean, it could it could literally be magical. Like, it doesn't have yeah. to be a biological reproduction, yeah. despite the fact Maybe that they they're look all like clones. Humans. Also, who knows? Um, but God, that raises some interesting issues. But yes, there, Vila can interbreed with humans, and that is a really important point to note. Because other than we assume werewolves because they are human, except for once a month. No yeah. other magical creature, shall we say, is seen to have that ability. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Don't say anything, Zoe. We'll learn. We'll talk about it later in this book. Oh, no. Hang on. I'm just checking something. Um, no, they, the, Adela, what we're talking about, also not in Fantastic Beasts. 
Oh, I mean that I, it, it makes as much sense as the other ones. So <laughs> can I make anyway? Can I make one guess? <sighs> yes. Yeah. Dragon. Nope. No dragons are in here. Damn it. Okay. There are no dragon born in this world. I apologize. Just because that's a just because that's a common like fantasy thing descended from dragons. Alas. Alas. So yeah, Leprechaun, we've sort of covered the whole situation with Leprechauns. It's, I don't understand. Um, you do it's see messy. some goblins in the Darkmark chapter um, cackling over their pot of gold that they have taken. We will once again mention the anti-Semitic aspects of JKR's descriptions of goblins and the movie-verse descriptions and depictions of goblins. Um, mm-hmm. Extremely gross. Doesn't get any better. Okay. So Vila. So Vila, Vila are basically sirens, based Vila on the way JKR writes them. Land mer people, so sirens, <laughs> I guess, right? Because the thing is, like, the original seems to be a mer person situation or a mountain situation. There's also well, sirens are also sea creatures, so it's like a cross between sirens and harpies. So we we are referencing uh, the website HP Lexicon, which is a fan sort of compilation of canon text. And at the bottom of this page, there's some commentary on the etymology of Vila. Um, so there are there are three different descriptions of the Slavic uh, Vila. Uh, number one, Vili, V-I-L-Y, are Slavic fairies who can take the form of birds. Number two, Vilas, as they appear in Serbian legends, are mountain nymphs, young and beautiful, clad in white with long flowing hair. Their voices are said to resemble those of woodpeckers. They shoot uh, deadly arrows at men and sometimes carry off children. Um, so that's more of like a... a <laughs> that's more of the siren, like, lead you to your death yeah. kind of thing. And then um, another book, let me check the year on this, 1977. Describes the Vili in detail. They are nature guardians, caring for trees, streams, and flowers. They are extremely jealous of beautiful women. Their moods are as changeable as the weather. They can cause and cure illnesses. A human who who trespasses in their territory may be shot with arrows or die from sudden heart attack, lumbago, or by being buried under an avalanche. All of these, to me, make it sound like they are not a specific creature they're rather like an overarching word like fairies yeah it like seems a lot more of like they're, they're it's a general word for like fae yeah it's a fae thing that appears as a woman and will kill men or sometimes human women who are too beautiful and has some sort of guardianship over nature yeah but also sometimes they're birds and sometimes they're birds if all Vila are women, then there's a lot of them are probably gay, right? Assuming that they have a concept of sexuality. True, right. True, like true. Maybe they're just doing all this stuff for fun and they actually don't care about, they probably don't care about people at all, except for the rare, rare, rare um, The thing, occasion. right? Because <laughs> we only see them from the perspective of the people that are being affected by them we don't see it from the perspective of them we do hear about a full-blooded vila who basically lived with humans Mm -hmm. i'm assuming for her whole life and it seems voluntarily and this is not a spoiler because it's in this page who voluntarily Mm -hmm. gave a 
hair to be used as a wand core for her granddaughter. Yes. And had children, presumably had children with a human man. Yes. Yeah. So this is, you'll meet Fleur later, and this has been given away on this page because I forgot to copy and paste. Um, That's fine. <laughs> her grandmother was a full-blooded Vila. Weird. I mean, I, mm, I don't. It's just like any folklore about, like, fae people that are born from fairies. I don't like this because <laughs> I feel like this is going to be my broken record thing for this book, but it feels like the author did not think this through. Yep. At all. Yep. Like, are they just perceived as sexy to, you know, humans who are attracted to women? Are they intentionally presenting themselves as sexy? Are they... Is is the way that they hypnotize people a side effect of just their the way they are, or do they do it on purpose? <laughs> is that a byproduct of just, like, them being who they are? Are they enthusiastic about Quidditch, or are they just, <laughs> like, being forced to do this? Like, so I think it's time to read the description from the canon text. Sure. Um... Mr. Weasley is saying, I wonder what they've brought, referring to the Bulgarian, said Mr. Weasley, leaning forward in his seat. Ah, he suddenly whipped off his glasses and polished them hurriedly on his robes. Vila. I find that to be a very funny moment. Very funny. Um, and Harry starts asking, what are Vila? But a hundred Vila were now gliding onto the field, and Harry's question was answered for him. Vila were women. They were the most beautiful women Harry had ever seen, except that they weren't, they couldn't be human. This puzzled Harry for what for a moment while he tried to guess exactly what they could be, but what could make their skin shine moon bright like that or their white gold hair fan out behind them without wind? But then the music started and Harry stopped worrying about them not being human. In fact, he stopped worrying about anything at all. The Vila had started to dance and Harry's mind had gone completely and blissfully blank. All that mattered in the world was that he kept watching the Vila because if they stopped dancing, terrible things would happen. And as the Vila danced faster and faster, wild, half-formed thoughts started chasing through Harry's dazed mind. He wanted to do something very impressive right now. Jumping from the box into the stadium seemed like a good idea, but would it be good enough? Harry, what are you doing? said Hermione's voice from a long way off. The music stopped. Harry blinked. He was standing up and one of his legs was resting on the wall of the box. Next to him, Rod was frozen in an attitude that looked like you were about to die from a springboard. Shout out to this Tumblr post that you linked. Um, yes. I don't know who the OP is, but I wonder how many girls were outed as gay by the Vilas during the national team present presentation. Yep. Jenny should have been trying to dive into the stadium. I know, table. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, Ginny is never mentioned here, so it's entirely possible that Harry just wasn't paying attention. Yeah, who knows? He, he often doesn't pay attention. We don't get any of the other Weasleys in the Quidditch scene, other than Arthur. I think Charlie talks a couple of times. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Charlie talks a couple of times. I'm just sort of... You would think, through here. aren't like Fred and George at least also Quidditch fanatics? Or is that just I assume wrong? that Harry's just like not sitting next to them. I guess. It says, when Charlie talks, it says further along the row. So I okay, think yeah. Harry's yeah. just overwhelmed and fo <laughs> focused more on the game than on the people around him. Charlie mm -hmm. has to reassure Ginny, who watched Lynch just plow himself directly into the ground. There you go. Ginny is mentioned once. <laughs> the only person who's really concerned about Lynch. I guess Hermione's also concerned about him at one point. Yeah. <laughs> very briefly. Um, Hermione is very interested in, in Crumb. <laughs> uh, 
Understandable. He rules. Understandable. Uh, Ron also very interested in Crumb. Harry not that impressed when Crumb is on the ground, which I thought was very <laughs> funny. <laughs> there are multiple comments about how awkward it Crumb is, like uh, at multiple it's points. Great. Um, Harry noticed that he seemed much, le- much less coordinated on the ground. He was slightly duck-footed and distinctly round- round-shouldered. And I think the author says those same things again when Ron gets out. Yeah, she does. But his, Ron like, doesn't action care. Figure. Ron, is, 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 Ron is so obsessed. Truly, truly. God, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to talk. I don't know what to say about Vila that we haven't already said um, other than it's, it's really disturbing how she's created this. Yeah. Cool. Should we talk about the next disturbing thing that she- <laughs> about how she created the world yeah moving right along okay i feel like i feel like before we talk about house elves we should talk about the death eaters a little bit maybe yeah yeah Mm -hmm. just that whole situation remember last episode when we were talking about why on earth are there muggles working here it's for this it's just so this can happen they i don't know i guess they weren't they were definitely not thinking about muggle like safety when they hired those muggles to do this but they were thinking about mobile safety, like, the whole other time. Yeah. Like, in every <laughs> other aspect of this, they're, like, like super protective about hiding it from muggles. That's what I'm saying. There shouldn't be muggles there. There shouldn't be muggles here. Like, surely there are wizards in the community who can, like, manage campsites. God, I And, hope like, so. do this sort of administration yeah. stuff. So what happens with the muggles in this scene is gross. Yeah, we're not going to read it. Yeah, no. But it's really disgusting. And this um, is the first, like, real indication you get of what... Well, it's the first time Harry learns what Death Eaters are. Right. And, and the reader. The, and the and reader the learns reader. what Death Eaters are. So it's the first time we see their behavior. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we see the KKK in action. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, we can go ahead and say that, right? They're hooded, yeah. they're masked, and they're it's torturing a clear... people. It's a clear reference. It's a very yeah. clear reference. And this is, like, Voldemort's followers are very clearly modeled after both the Nazis and the KKK. Like, yeah. this is yeah. this is not going out to fan... This is complete canon confirmed by J.K. Rowling. This is not... Yeah. This is 100% what's happening it, here. Hmm. This is... It is really hard to read. I wonder, this is something where I would love to get the perspective of British listeners and readers again. Oh, yeah. Because there's a common thread of thought that I've seen referenced by, like, British people I follow on Twitter that there is no racism in England, which is patently false. But because England hasn't had an outright, like... Racist party? Radical racist, you know, movement that they can point to like America can point to the KKK, you know, like Mm -hmm. Europe and Germany can point to the Nazi party. It feels less real to, you know, white British people that like, oh no, you know, that doesn't happen here. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that influenced the author's decision to make the (laughs) radical, you know, racist movement in her books, like for children does it does it feel like a fantasy story to her? I guess is the question. yeah. Like, does it feel fantastic? Does it is it something that she considers fantastical to have that type of yeah? That's interesting. The reason I'm going to say it doesn't feel fantastical, even to the author, is because of where the series goes and how hard it is to stamp out this thing. I think that there's enough in the canon that shows how difficult it's going to be 
to move past this and to recognize it for what it is, that it doesn't feel like a fantasy. However, I think as you move forward through the story, it becomes less KKK and more Nazi. And there is a distinction for people who are not American or who don't know anything about the KKK. Um, that's the Ku Klux Klan, and they are white supremacists, and they specifically are... Specifically anti-Black. Specifically anti-Black white supremacists who, throughout American history, in some version or another, performed and continue to perform violence against Black Americans. Um, yeah. And non-Americans, right? Black people, people of color but specifically Black Americans, based on the history of the United States here. Yeah. And they are famous for walking around in white pointed hoods that cover their faces. So you can't read, and for lynching people, you can't read this passage that describes them, which again, we're not going to read out loud. You can't read it without going, well, that's what this is. Yeah. Like, this is a lynch mob. It's a lynch mob. But as you move forward in the books and things get more organized, you can draw sort of a direct line between the KKK and fascism or Nazism by like putting on a suit, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh Like you go from wearing the hood to wearing the suit and there is a direct line that you can watch happen and that if you've been paying attention to the world today, you can watch happen right now um, that I think happens throughout this series Mm -hmm. and that a lot of Nazism is also anti-Black violence, anti-people of color violence, but it is different than the KKK. The KKK is more boots on the ground, regular people that you know who suddenly have a hood on. And that is very much how people think of it. That is not necessarily true, let me be clear. Um, There have been people who support the KKK or who do support the KKK in American government forever wearing the suits and the whole that, but in the American consciousness, it holds a different place. And it is this sort of lynch mob mentality, which is less of what happens later in the books. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes sense that she moves more toward a Nazi analogy because that's what's in the British like cultural memory. Yeah. But the fact that she starts here and it never really goes away makes me think that she understands the larger issue. I don't think she understands it anymore, but I think that when she was writing it and she was yes. poor and a bunch of other things, like I think that there is some some underlying stuff here. Yeah. I mean, she would be in the generation where like her The LA race riots. Yeah, and where like her parents and friends of her parents would have been like World War II, where like Nazism would be a very familiar image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also like the LA race riots made the news around the world and for oh Arizona. yeah, so there's a lot that would have been in her consciousness when writing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think before we talk about house elves, we should talk about the dark mark. Yeah, we do get a a, a moment of like very personal racism from Draco also. Oh yes, yep. this is the um, part that I had forgotten how smooth Draco was. Not a yeah. good human. Let me be clear. Yeah, Draco uh, once again using the slur against Hermione, Muggleborn slur, and saying that she better get out of the way because of what's happening out there. Which I will note, Ron unconsciously or agrees with. Yeah, that um, Hermione might be in more danger, and yeah. given fan depictions of Hermione as um, 
minimum mixed race woman of color, if not a black woman, there's feeding right into the KKK analogy. Yeah. So the dark mark. You'll learn more later about what, like, there's more about it than just yeah. it's a symbol in the sky. But it's Voldemort's bat signal. <laughs> is is it is Voldemort's bat signal? Yeah. But I think that there's something that Arthur Weasley says here that um, is really important. Um, let me see if I can find that. The kids are like, why does it matter? It's just a shape in the yeah. sky. And then I found it. Ron, you know who and his followers sent up the dark mark into the air whenever they killed, said Mr. Weasley. The terror it inspired. You have no idea. You're too young. Just picture coming home and finding the dark mark hovering over your house and knowing what you're about to find inside. Mr. Weasley winced. Everyone's worth, worst fear. The very worst. That's visceral. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not just then killing someone. It's the psychological torture of letting that person know, like the yeah. loved ones of that person know who did it. I mean, the Weasleys would have like been raising the first few of their children at that time. Like, so like Bill and Charlie would have been young kids. Like, I definitely hear this as Mr. Weasley saying, what if I come home from work and my toddlers are dead? Yeah, that's like, actually a good point. Mm -hmm. I never um, thought about that timeline before. Fuck. And I think it probably happened with Molly's brothers. It absolutely happened with Molly's brothers. Um, they're no, she's from uh, a long line of purebloods called the Pruitts. Hmm. Her brothers were killed by Death Eaters. Is one of them actually killed by Voldemort? I feel like that might be true. Yeah, I think so. One of them was killed by Death Eaters and one of them was killed by Voldemort himself. So there's like, there's a yeah. lot of trauma with the Weasleys um, going yeah. on here. And the description that Mr. Weasley gives here is like, I don't think I paid attention to this description before today when I reread these chapters. Yeah. And realized like, in the world that we live in today with the politics that America has had and the world has had for the past, I mean, you could say 150 years, but let's say 10 years. This is terrifying. Yeah. It's very much the, the sense of like a veteran looking yeah. at something happening today and being like, I remember yeah. this. Yeah. I want to mention one uh, not great fandom thing, which is um, seeing people get, Dark Mark tattoos. Fucking tattoos of the Dark what? Mark. Oh god, really? Yeah. yeah. So the Dark Mark is a thing that is tattooed on Death Eater's arms. I'm just gonna give oh. that one away. God. And it's on the lower yeah. left forearm on the inside. And people will go to tattoo artists and be like, yeah. I'm permanently affixed to my body. Yep. What the fuck? God, that sucks. Like, I would imagine that for the most part, that most of them are like, this is just a cool tattoo. Let me be clear. Very cool design. Yeah, I would imagine that most fans getting this tattoo are not thinking critically about getting this tattoo or thinking oh, critically about not. the books at all. No, I'm going to tattoo it, like fantasy, you know, yeah. alt-right imagery on myself. Yep. It's probably not the, not the consideration that most people are making. Yeah. But still, uh, but maybe should be should be. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the next depressing thing. <laughs> Episode title. Let's talk about the next depressing thing. We could. Do we want to just leave house elf discussion? I was going to say we can. Now? We could leave it because there is a whole chapter later in the book where I feel like we're going to discuss it a lot. Um, but I do think we should at least 
talk briefly about Winky's specific treatment in this chapter. Yeah. yeah. Rather than discussing house elves as a whole, but so Mr. Crouch is a new character in this book. Do we know exactly yeah. what position he holds? He's the Ooh. head of the the international. Um, what is it? The magical uh, cooperation department of international magical cooperation. There we go. Yeah. So okay. basically, he's like so he's the like ambassador a, for. He's a like foreign affairs kind of. He's guy. secretary of state. Okay. Um. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mr. Diggory, who is the head of the, what is this department called with, uh, Winky says it earlier, Department of Magical Creatures. Oh, is he that one? Yeah. Uh, regulation, Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Um, so Mr. Crouch, no, sorry, Mr. Diggory says something really fucking wild in here that I would like to highlight because E, you need to keep this in your brain along with the goblins. Okay. This is a direct quote. No non-human creature is permitted to carry or use a wand. Ah, yes. That's part of their, part of the regulation and control of magical creatures. Which you know is a valid government department to have. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking carry here as in, like, Physically carrying, carry. Like, yeah. physically hold at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harry, very quick on his feet. Uh, we start learning a lot of spells very quickly that would have been very helpful one uh-huh. book earlier. So uh-huh. Harry registered one fact. Each of these wizards had his wand out, and every wand was pointing right at himself, Harry and Hermione. I read that wrong, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Without pausing to think, he yelled duck and seized the other two and pulled them down to the ground. Uh, that's his... Uh, Sportman <laughs> reflexes. Hell yeah. Stupefy, new spell, stuns people, knocks them unconscious. Um, then very useful. You, very, very useful. It's almost like it could have been used at the end of the previous book by these adult wizards who were right there who knew what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I will forever be angry about that. You learn Enervate, which is the spell to wake somebody up if they have been knocked unconscious. And uh-huh. you also learn the spell to show what the previous... Priori incantatum. Yeah, priori incantato, but later it's priori oh, incantatum. So you are correct. There, It's incantatum later and incantato here now. I think the incantation is priori incantato and the um is like the name of the spell. Oh, that could actually be true. Yeah, uh, I'm it's, pretty sure that's what That is. actually makes sense linguistically because the o would probably be that's um, like a verb form right it would be the fuck imperative i'm gonna get this wrong it's the one where it is um i do this yeah so in case you don't know what this this spell does it shows the prior (laughs) incantation (laughs) yeah right huh um and then also another useful one that she just tosses in here for fun deletrius which was it ends a spell pretty sure that one's never used again nope (laughs) Nope. Uh, because that name sucks. That name really sucks. Deletrius. <laughs> Deletrius. It's actually really hard to read this one, which is maybe why she abandons it. Anyway, so Winky is found holding a wand after this incantation that causes, which also we learn here is Mord's Mordra, um, which causes the death, the Death Eater's uh, dark mark. Just gonna throw the root, just gonna throw the root for death in there twice in case oh, you didn't God, yeah. see it. You know. <laughs> death, death. Here's the death, death. Here's the death, death symbol. God, fuck off, JKR. 
Um, <laughs> so Winky is found <laughs> unconscious, holding the wand that it is revealed is A, Harry's, and B, cast this spell. Crouch, like, goes ballistic on Winky yeah. in a very controlled way. And also Mr. Diggory is just, like, tossing around accusations, which I don't really have anything to say about Mr. Diggory that I won't be able to say later. But basically just, like, suddenly accuses Harry of casting this spell, which and everyone's like, to be like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Harry <laughs> Potter? Um, yeah, it's, it's fucking bizarre. Uh, and this poor, this, her story is so depressing. Mm-hmm. I assume she continues to be a character in this book. She does yeah. continue to be a character. She broke Mr. Crouch's instructions. She left the tent. She was then found with a wand that had been used to cast this spell. And she says that she saw no one and does not say why she left the tent, but Hermione supplies that Winky has already been identified as someone who is terrified of heights and the Death Eaters are levitating people and also flattening tents. Like, of course she would flee. Literally everyone was fleeing. Literally everyone was fleeing. But she also says that she picked up the wand. She found it. But it doesn't matter to Mr. Crouch because she did not follow his exact commands. And that's what he wants. So in front of everyone, he humiliates his, and I'm just going to say it, slave by firing her. Yeah. Which is giving her just the way that JKR describes firing house elves, who in her mind, if we go back to what Winky said in the previous chapter, Mm -hmm. desire to continue to be slaves and wear these like tea cozies and pillowcases as clothing. The way that JKR has decided they should be fired from being slaves and having room and board and I guess any amount of dignity, which is not really true, but whatever, is to give them clothing, a thing which usually empowers people. Yes. A sign of dignity. Mm-hmm. Having clothes. Which is why talking about house elves is such a complicated conversation. It's... So bad. We're going to come back to house I will... elves because it is a long-term theme yeah. in this book. I feel, like, I feel like we've covered it enough for today. Eve, what did you want to say? I, I'm going to continue to bang on my drum if she did not think this through enough. Uh, <laughs> Terrifyingly, I, I'm going to disagree with that one. Uh, you think she thought this one through? Enough? I think she's wrong, but I think she thought it through. Well, okay. All right. Here, I'll, I'll revise. She did this in book three was the one with Dobby in it too. And then realized that she had to continue with the giving a house elves clothes releases them. And I have to make that bad somehow. And then just ran with it. And you end up with this like really weird twisted thing where. Yeah. 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 Because before giving clothes was freeing and now it's firing, which is the same thing, but not the same thing. Yes. Mm. Um, Hermione. Keep an eye on her indignation yes. here. Exposition time. They go back to the tent. They have some exposition. They get some exposition in the forest. They learn about Death Eaters. Yeah, they and... learn about Death Eaters. Uh, there's this interesting hypothesis, which I think Arthur proposes, that the yeah. Dark Mark could have been sent up to dissuade the Death Eaters, which is... Uh-huh. Bill actually describes this a little more, and it is, it's like hugely important. 
Um, yeah. If they were really Death Eaters, they worked very hard to keep out of Azkaban when you know who lost power. And all sorts told all sorts of lies about him, forcing them to kill and torture people. I bet they'd be even more frightened than the rest of us to see him come back. They denied they'd ever been involved with him when he lost his powers and went back to their daily lives. I don't reckon he'd be overpleased with them, do you? Yeah. Yeah. So this was depressing time. Which is sad because, like, I feel like the Quidditch chapter was really fun and I liked it a lot. Okay, we've talked about all of the huge issues that JKR has put into her world and the horrible things about house elves and who is and isn't a beast versus a being. And I know that we do not praise her writing in here anymore. We just don't. It's not worth it. She's a horrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. Is it weird that I still enjoyed these chapters? I did too. No, so. it's, it's, yeah. It's writing that's easy to like. It is very easy to enjoy these books. And I understand why so many people like them so much. Because if you read it at a surface level as just like a, a young adult story. level story that you're enjoying, it's fun. It's pretty yeah. well done for at that level. And then when you scratch the surface, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> There's so many yeah. things wrong. I think that that about describes this entire experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job. But that it can't completely erase the fact that if you read at that surface level, you enjoy it. Yeah. And it's well done like, at that there level. There's a reason why these books became the most like yeah. well-loved children's books of all time. Um, yeah. Like, you could say this about basically, I mean, like, we have chosen to take apart Harry Potter from the yeah. inside out as new and old fans. We could do the exact same fucking thing with Lord of the Rings, yep. with Narnia, yep. with fucking The Phantom Tollbooth. Talk about another book that I have tattooed on my body in <laughs> oh, multiple places. I love that book. <laughs> I love that book. There's a lot that you could pull out from basically anything that you read. Yeah. Especially if it was written by a white person. Mm-hmm. And we have chosen to do that with Harry Potter, but let's not forget, Adela and I still love this series at a really mm -hmm. deep and somewhat uncomfortable level. Yep. And a lot of people do. And that's like, that's the whole point of this exercise is like, how can we hold that love yeah. for the things that are genuinely enjoyable and the themes that are, you know, deep and resonate? in the series and also you know the the bottomless pit of problems with the world building and with the author mm -hmm. yeah how do you reconcile that and sometimes the answer is that you don't sometimes you turn off your brain and you're like you know what i'm just gonna reread and enjoy this and then yeah, yeah. we're not gonna be angry if somebody's like i can't listen to this podcast because it's ruining this thing that i love hold yeah. the thing that you love close to your heart if you understand that it's not perfect, then all the better. But we're not going to tell you that you can't read this or that you should read it or listen to the podcast that takes it apart or pay attention to this at all because you can't because JKR is a horrible turf. Like there's so much happening here all at once. It is neither, like it is not a personal failing to either reject a work entirely because of its problems or to recognize that it has problems and say i'm going to turn off my critical faculties and enjoy this because there's good in it yeah Th both of those modes of engagement are you know worthwhile 
people read bad books all the time. If we all stopped consuming media that had any problems, there would be no media. And I don't mean that to excuse this series or its author. No. But it is important to note because it is something that we will keep talking about. And speaking of things that we will keep talking about, if you would like to read along with us, we will be boarding the Hogwarts Express in the next episode. We will be reading chapters 10 through 12, Mayhem at the Ministry, Aboard the Hogwarts Express, and the Triwizard Tournament. Despite being three chapters, it's approximately the same number of pages as we read for this one. Still really like Quidditch, and Harry should just be a professional Quidditch player. Yeah. Let this boy have fun. Let the boy have fun. Um, all right. Thank you so much for listening to our depressing episode. Um, I have been <laughs> Sorry Zoe. it was so depressing for so long. <laughs> but important. And we still love the Quidditch. I have been Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. Uh, I am E. You can find me on Twitter at C-E-L-1-0-E. I'm Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aradel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. You can find the show at Potternot on both Twitter and Tumblr. And like I said, if you are from Bulgaria or another Eastern Bloc country, please tweet at us. Um, also, if you have any information about sort of just like the racism view of Britain in the early 90s and you have any insights into that, we would love to hear it on Twitter or Tumblr. Uh, you can find more music by our fantastic composer Morgan Jackson at we did the time warp again.bandcamp.com. Thanks, everybody. can't hear my roommate yelling in the background, right? No. No. <laughs> You're good. He's like yell singing in the living room. <laughs> That's kind of Excellent. Fun. I'm going to um, send a picture of, of the spot Dizzy has chosen. Oh, oh the baby. baby. <laughs> he baby. He baby. He make biscuit? He make biscuit. He's a biscuit babe. <laughs> also, hopefully you won't hear my radiator running. I it don't hear screams. anything right now. Sometimes it screams. Uh, well, that will be appropriate for one of these chapters. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <by> Craig. <laughs> I thought you were just going to like scream for a little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's the mood. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Bye, Craig. <laughs> Wait, I just, that was not. <laughs> Did you just type bye, Craig? I just typed oh, Craig, Craig, Craig emoji, Craig, <laughs> which is not helpful. Craig, you are Craig, and we love Craig you. Craig is Craig. <laughs> Craig, leave. Bye, Craig.